0: Amen. Amen. Hey, do me a favor, maybe a little bit of a distance greet, but just greet somebody this morning. Wave at them. Say, hey, welcome to church. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. If you're online with us this morning, we want to say welcome. So exciting to have you here. Again, whether you are with us in person or whether you're joining us online. I do want to say real quick, if you're watching online and you're visiting with us, uh, maybe you have just been joining us for a little bit now, maybe this is your first day to join us, there's going to be a number on the screen. Do me a favor and text that number, and that's going to let us know that you're watching so that I can connect with you and reach out and maybe answer any questions that you might have about Victory Church. We are getting so many people that are are discovering the church and learning about the church in this season. Now that we've been online as much as we have, and, and so many people are watching online that we're seeing a lot of growth in that area. And so we just want to connect with you, again, just to be able to put a face to a name and be able to say hello and share a little bit more about the church. If you're with us this morning, let me hear you real quick in this place. Go ahead and get your lungs ready. Go ahead and get your lungs ready. There we go. I got to get people warmed up. I got to get them warmed up for me because I need you to shout me down. And so if if your lungs aren't warm and working, then you won't be ready uh, to go with me. Um, I want to say again that not only welcome to Victory Church, but we are continuing our series called the journey. I think we might be on week 18, maybe week 19 now. Uh, we're definitely in John chapter 11, and I believe there are 21 chapters in John. So that tells you this is probably going to take us right up to Easter, which I have a feeling was God's plan all along, and it's going to be pretty powerful. But it's just been great for me. I hope it's been great for you as we've just kind of, again, stepped back and taken the book of John and just, we, we, you know, we haven't rushed through it. We haven't gone to it looking for specific things. We've just said, hey, we're going to read the chapter. And then, you know, through, through the characteristics of Jesus and through the tellings of John, we're going to learn who God is. We're going to relearn who God is. And so that's, again, kind of what we're doing today. One of the things I want to continue to stress to you is please get a journal and get a Bible. A couple of weeks ago, you heard me say that, that kind of our focus for 2021, I called it back to the Bible. Um, I want to be very clear. We never left the Bible, but it's just kind of the idea of... Um, really allowing God's word in the scriptures to shape the year by just going through the word and allowing it to do what only it can do. And so again, I don't want to rob you from the pleasure of having your own paper Bible and being able to highlight, mark, and write things. If you saw my Bible, you'd see a lot of commentary written around the different scriptures because again, as I'm studying, God will tell me something and I'll write it down. And it's been fun. I I heard a pastor do this um, that was a friend of mine and I wanna do it down the road and that is be able to give my Bibles to my kids you know, as they get older and so it'd be really cool for them to look through it and see writings of their dads from when he was studying and different things. So I just wanna encourage you to do that. I know, it's, I know it's 2021 and we're in a whole you know, technology world and you got your phones and that's great. But I really want to encourage you to get a paper Bible so that you can start highlighting, taking notes, and again, get you a journal so you can just kind of go along with this. Because how cool would it be, and then I'll get in the sermon, I know y'all are ready for the word, about how cool would it be for years from now for you to look back, be able to remember this series, be able to say, oh man, I learned this about God, and I learned that about God, and it'd just be cool, right? Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. And John, we're in the journey. John chapter 11 is where we're at. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. We're gonna start reading at 25, but let me just give you kind of an update and a reminder of where we left off. So we're in the story where Jesus is going to come and heal his friend Lazarus, who died. He's gonna raise him from the dead. Um, You're probably familiar with this story. And we talked last week just kind of about the whole scenario of how Jesus was going to come, but he waits until Lazarus dies. And we talked about about it being a wake-up call. We talked about that. Is it possible that 2020 was a wake-up call for us and that we should turn back to God and turn back to the scriptures and hopefully many will be saved? And and we did not get into the part where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that we're going to, but he does in fact get raised from the dead. But there's, there's another little section of scripture here where we're going to start at verse 25 that really reveals some things uh, that I want to share with you. So again, starting at verse 25, Jesus has arrived. He's had a little bit of conversation with Martha and Mary. And here's where we pick up. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. (laughs) So Jesus just says, Let you right off know right off the bat, I'm the resurrection and the life. And watch this the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so right off the bat, he says, The one who believes in me. And he goes on to say, Whoever lives by believing in me. Will never die. So the one who believes in me will live, and the one who lives by believing in me. So you believe in Jesus, you live, and you can live by believing believing in Jesus. You catch that? It's pretty powerful. And then he goes on to say, "Do you believe this?" To which she says, "Yes, Lord, I believe." So there's a lot of believes in here. That you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, and you are the one who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and she went out, they followed her because they supposed she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. If you would have been here. You ever said that to God? If you would have done this, if you would have done that, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then he said to her, where have you laid him? And she said, come and see, Lord. And then we get a scripture that's only two words long. I want to encourage you, it's going to be, literally, you can kind of start off the new year uh, memorizing scripture, right? And there we go. So John 11, verse 35, you ready for it? Here it is. Jesus wept. Everybody said Jesus wept. You've already memorized scripture. It's pretty impressive, right? Now you just got to remember the reference. John 11, 35, was what? Man, we're starting off the year. We ain't playing with this back to the Bible stuff. We're memorizing scripture and everything. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from, from this thought. A new frame of reference. A a new frame of reference. Whenever it comes to what you and I think about, what we think about something, we we gather our information and we gather our thoughts and our beliefs from what is called a frame of reference, okay? And and so, again, what that is is you're kind of gathering criteria and you're gathering experiences and different things, and you take that stuff and you put it together together. And then that becomes your frame of reference, and that helps you decide what you think about when you think about something, okay? For example, let's just say love. Love, marriage, dating, all those kinds of things. What you think about when you think about love tends to be dictated by your frame of reference, okay? So again, we'll we'll just kind of put love. Here And so let's just go through some of the frame of references. All right, Right off the bat, what you tend to have is what you know based off of your family. So, so what you've seen in your parents, what you've seen, you know, love in your household. And again, that's just kind of what you've seen when it comes to marriage, when it comes to love. And so there's that. Then there's the infamous infamous. TV, right? What we've seen on, uh, I don't know what shows you sinners watch, Grey's Anatomy, uh, you know, all that crazy stuff that's giving you off love. So, so we have that. And then we normally have either uh, our own experience, right? Maybe we've been in a past relationship or a past marriage. And so these kind of things tend to shape what we think about love. So when you go to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about when you think about love? Whatever it is that they think about is often decided by their frame of reference. Well, here's what I think about based off what I saw in my parents, or or here's what I think about based off what I've seen on TV, or or here's what I think about based off what I've actually experienced myself. And so we kind of take these things, and then we develop where we stand on the subject. Make sense? This same thing could happen, for example, with parenting right? What what do you think about when you think about parenting? Well, I go based off of what I saw with my parents. I go based off of what I see on TV. I get based off my own experience, my friends. What do you think about when you think about church? Well, I go based on what my family taught me. I go based on what I've seen in my own experience, or I I go based on what I see in other Christians. What do you think about, you know, the gym? Well, I go based on, you know, my own experience or what I've seen. Everything is kind of decided by our frame of reference, I'll tell you one thing that I thought was funny. Um, when I went to college, I found out that I had a huge misconception as to what college was. And here's the reason for that. By the time my sister went to college, she was old enough. Well, by the time she was old enough to go to college, she, we didn't live together. She lived with my mom. I lived with my dad. So I didn't get any experience from her. I didn't have any friends necessarily that were in college. And so my only frame of reference for college was TV. TV. That was my only frame of reference. So let's just go through this, for example. I watched Boy Meets World. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but their college experience is unique. They're best friends with their professor. Okay, that was different. Uh, I watched college, you know, from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where they had the Peacock restaurant and all that. I watched college from Saved by the Bell, the the college years. And so by the time I got ready to go to college, I was excited, because I had this whole frame of reference as to what college was going to be. It was going to be awesome. In Boy Meets World, the girls and guys showered in the same bathroom. It's like, this is going to be awesome, right? Or, or, you know, however you feel about that. But I just like, that, is not, that was not the college experience. I get there, and it wasn't fun at all because my only frame of reference was the TV, right? Y'all checking y- with me so far? Frame of reference. So I want to talk to you about gathering a new frame of reference. Everything that you and I Every way that we develop what we think is based on our frame of reference. So here's the question I want to ask you. What do you think about when you think about God? What what, what do you think about when you think about God? Now, first century Jews had developed this thought process around God based off of their frame of reference, okay? So let me just take you there for a second and give you what was mostly their frame of reference. Right off the bat would have been the temple. Now, this was kind of their, their church, okay? So that's what first century Jews they had. They had their temple, their temple experience. That was a part of their frame of reference as to who God was and what God was like. Another thing that they had was religious leaders, okay? So the Christians, the Pharisees, the, the, the over spiritual people, the people who taught them what it was like and what it meant to be a, a God follower, okay? So they had the temple, they had religious leaders, and then they also had the law. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to call it the Jewish Bible, okay? What it really was, it's like the five, first five books of the Bible that you're reading. today, of the Old Testament. It was uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers. And that's what they had. So they had the temple, their, their church experience. They had religious people that were around them. And then they had the law of Moses, which was the Ten Commandments in which the religious leaders had taken and turned into about 400 different laws. Um, And then they had the, the Old Testament Bible, the first five books, the Jewish Bible. So this was the frame of reference that they had for God. So when you went to somebody who was a first century Jew and said, hey, what is your take on God? When you think about God, what do you think about? For them to be able to tell you their answer, it was based off of these three frames of references plus what they believed. Did I spell that right? plus what they believed, okay? So, so they had these things plus what they believed. And here was the most common uh, definition or description they had for God. Based off of their frame of reference, here's what they would have said. They would have said that God is distant, God is displeased with me, and God is detached. Based off of their frame of reference, their temple experience, the religious leaders in their life, the the, the law from Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and then they took all of that and put it together with what they believed. And if somebody said, what do you think about, when you think about God, they would have said, God is distant, he is displeased, and he is detached. Now watch this. I know we're talking about first century Jews, but in 2020, 2021, most people are coming to conclusion as to what they think about when they think about God based off of their church experience, the Christians that they know, and the scripture they take out of context. Right? Most people are developing what they think about God based off of the church they went to on Easter, the Christian they work with, And that one scripture that's hanging on the wall at the gym that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and he had never lifted a dumbbell, right? And most people, like first century Jews, believe that God is distant, displeased, and detached. Now, here's the coolest thing. Jesus came to earth for a lot of reasons. Jesus came to earth to to establish a new kingdom, he came to establish, we talked about this in the early part of this series, a new normal. Jesus obviously came to live a sinless life and to die a sinner's death so that our sins would be forgiven and so that we could go to heaven, right? That's a lot of the reasons Jesus came. But one of the reasons that Jesus came that people don't talk about a lot is Jesus came to correct the misconceptions that people had about God, okay? Okay. People who were following, they, we talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked about religious leaders, false teachers, who were talking and teaching about God, and they were teaching about God wrong, and it was developing these thought patterns, these thought processes about God, and the, the, the conception, or the, 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 uh, the, the definition that people had for God, that the description about God was wrong. And God knows this. God knows that most people are going around believing that he is distant, displeased, and detached based off of what's happening at the temple, based off of what's happening with, between, coming out of religious leaders' mouths, based on what's happening to the law and how they've added to it, based off of the, the, the scriptures being taken out of context. And so people are walking around believing God is distant, displeased, detached. And he says, Jesus, you got to go and correct the misconceptions about me. Which is why Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. When you hear me, you hear the Father. Jesus went on to say one time, I don't do anything without it being what the Father tells me to do. Because here's why he's saying that. He's saying it because he's saying, I'm here to show you who God is. So Jesus says, I can't just do what I want to do. Because if I do what I want to do, then you will have a misconception as to who God is. So I have to do exactly what God has told me to do so that when you look back on these scriptures and someone says, who is God? I can say, hold on, let me take you. Let's go watch Jesus. And if we watch Jesus, we can identify who God is. And therefore, he becomes our frame of reference. Amen? So let's jump after this. Let's talk about three misconceptions that people have about God and how Jesus goes after all three of these misconceptions in this interaction found in John chapter 11. All right, here we go. Misconception number one, that God is distant from us. That God is, you know you know what I mean? A lot of people believe this, that God is in heaven. God is beyond the clouds. God is like this eternal being, and, and I'm just this human being on planet Earth, and God's over there beyond the stars, and I'm here. When we were in Memphis visiting our, grandpa- our daughter's parents, uh, her dad set up the telescope, and we were looking at the moon, and it was so far away and so distant. And that's how a lot of people believe God is, that, that he's there, and he's present, he's in our life, but he's really, really far away, and we can't see him, and if you want to have any interaction with him, you need to go get a telescope. Like he's, he's distant. But watch what happens in John chapter 11. We're gonna read verses 28 through 30. It says, after she had said this, she went back, and she called her sister Mary aside, and she said, hey, the teacher's here. So Martha tells Mary, Jesus is here, and he's asking for you. And so when Mary heard this, she gets up quickly, and she goes to him. Watch this. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Okay, watch this. Jesus had been to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus many times. In fact, theologians say that he had been there so many times because when he would be on his different journeys, he would stop there and stay the night. Martha would cook for him, and Mary would worship him, and he'd hang with Lazarus and they'd have a good time. And so this was a common place for him to be. And not only was, was Bethany a common place for them to be, but their actual house was a common place him to be. So it's interesting that this time when Jesus shows up, not only does he not go to their house, he doesn't even enter the village. And the reason for that is because this time the situation's different. The atmosphere is different. Something has happened. There's a misunderstanding going on between Mary and Martha and Jesus because he said Lazarus wouldn't end in death, but Lazarus is dead. And so there's some heartbreak going on. And so Jesus understands the awkwardness and the atmosphere and just the feelings and the emotions and how everybody in the words of Drake is all up in their feelings. And so instead of going straight to their house, Jesus stays on the outside of the village. And when Martha gets to Mary and says, hey, Jesus wants to see you, and Mary goes, well, where is he? And Martha says, he's exactly where I left him. What Jesus was coming to confirm and and communicate to us was this, that God will remain at the distance that we keep him at. Martha, where's Jesus? He's right where I left him. God is not distant. God is not a distant God, but he will stay and remain at the distance that you and I choose to keep him at. Okay? If you feel like God is distant, it's not because he's distant, it's because you are keeping him at a distance. The the, the religious system of that day was so burdensome. It, it, It would have been more like a barrier to God than a bridge. If you showed up to the temple, you know, there was this whole process you had to go through with your sacrifice and you had to make sure that it was cleansed and there would have been all these rituals and you were standing in line. I mean, you, you imagine what that's like. You guys have been shopping on Black Friday. You know what that's like to just be kind of, you know, one, one amongst many crazy people. So everybody's coming to the temple to do their ritual so that they can be forgiven by God. And, and everybody just kind of, it's just, it's just real, there's no real relationship to it, right? It's, it's, it's robotic, and then you get to this point where they've got this individual, this priest, or whatever it might be, that's kind of the communication between you to God. You can't go talk to God, but you can talk to this person, and then this person go talk to God, because God's behind the veil, right? He's, he's behind the, the, the curtain, and so you kind of get in that mindset of like, God's over there, and I'm over here, like God's behind the curtain, it's like Wizard of Oz, right? Like, like God's behind the curtain, and I'm here. I'm just this low, you know, this, 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 this uh, pointless, you know, n- valueless being. Meanwhile, God's over here behind this curtain. And then this religious system had set these people in place that said, hey, you don't need to go to God. You tell us what you need, and then we'll go to God for you, right? So there was this concept and this understanding and this frame of reference that God was distant and we're still dealing with it today so here's what's funny is Jesus's relationship with the family from Bethany and his availability at this moment would have gone against every narrative that God was distant think about this Jesus is God he's God in flesh And his relationship with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus alone would have gone against the narrative that God is distant. Am I right? His availability at that moment to be there with them in their toughest moment would have gone against the fact that God is distant. That God is just this being behind this cloud, but instead, God is someone that you can have a relationship with, and God is someone who is available when you need him, and God is there. Think about it like this. Go ahead and put that next statement up there for me. Watch this. Many have misunderstood God to have departed from us, right? God's departed from us, yet... It is God who is bridging the divide by drawing near to us and reconciling us to himself once and all through Jesus. The the, the religious mindset was that God had distanced himself from us. Meanwhile, it was God. It is God who is reconciling us to himself through Jesus. Right? Listen to me. The the, the nearness, the closeness that existed in the garden between God and Adam and Eve that we then lost because of Adam and Eve's fall to temptation of Satan is regained through Jesus. God said, look, I don't want to be away from you. God said, I understand. You, You understand. I can't be around sin. I'm a holy, perfect God. I can't be around sin, but I want to be near you. I want to be near you, so I'll do whatever I can do to be near you, and I've got to find a way to get you back to me because I'm not a distant God. I want to be near to you. I want to touch you. I want to be involved in your life. I want to know you. I want to know you like Adam knew Eve. I want to know you, but in order for me to know you, I got to be near you. And in order for me to be near you, you can't be covered in sin. So I will send my only son to die a sinner's death, not so that I can rule you from a distance, but so that I can draw near to you in relationship. My goodness. That's a whole new frame of reference. He's not a distant God. He's near. I remember, we've shared before, that my oldest daughter got attacked by a, a dog. One, it was one Sunday. We had gone out to eat with some friends. We were sitting out at the restaurant. We hadn't even got our food yet, and there was a few couples with us, and um, darling got the phone call. And, and, and parents, y'all know what it's like. When, when if you're with your spouse or whatever, and you, you you can tell a phone call is going on, that's real serious, and so everything kind of stops. And the moment she got off the phone, Darla didn't ask any questions. She didn't say like, "Hey, uh, I don't know, can you find out the you know the, the status on our food?" <laughs> like it was not like she was gone. She was gone. And then we we did, the rest of the couples there, we just kind of figured it out. Like, okay, well I'll ride with you. I'll get our food to go. She was gone because she wanted to be near her baby. You know what I mean, like like nothing else mattered because she had to be near her. This is the same kind of of love and heart and and, and mindset that our father has. Where did she get that? From her father. And so he says, I got to be near you. So he's not a distant God. He's doing all that he can and everything that he can to be near us. That's what you need to hear this morning is that Jesus was everything God could do so that he could be near you. He's not distant. Here's what I thought was cool, and then we'll move on to the second one, is James, the brother of Jesus, he he writes the book of James in the Bible. And think about this. I mean, just the very fact that James comes to believe that Jesus is the Son of God is a miracle in itself because this is his brother. He had, you know, been raised with him and seen him, you know, use the bathroom or whatever. So this idea that he's the son of God is kind of strange, but, but it just shows you the faith that James had and it shows you what Jesus does in revealing himself to him, that James goes on to believe that Jesus is the son of God. And then watch this. James sits down to write the book of James and he has been with Jesus and he understands that Jesus is God and that whatever he sees Jesus do is what God would do and whoever, however he sees Jesus act is how God would act and James sits down to pen the book of James and here is what James says. He goes, if, God, if, if we will draw near to God, God will draw near to us. Think about that. James, look, we haven't been with Jesus. James has been with Jesus in the flesh. And so he comes to this realization as to who God is. And he says, do you want to know who God is? Based off of what I've experienced with Jesus, here's who God is. He's someone that if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. Jesus stays at the distance that we keep him at. He arrived and Martha met him. And then Martha said, I'm gonna go get Mary. And Jesus said, I will wait here because until Martha invites me in, I'm staying at this distance. That powerful. So God is not distant, he's near. Second misconception. Misconception number two is that God is displeased with us. This is another belief that a lot of people have is that Again, we're sinners, and God hates sin, and so therefore God must hate us or be angry at us. And when we make mistakes or do something that God doesn't want us to do, then automatically we think God's angry at us, and so we respond in that way. Therefore God is angry angry. The religious leader or even the law teaching that the the early Jews would have had during that time would have kind of taught them that. This law that they created where they added 400 or so laws to it where you couldn't put in your false teeth or you couldn't put on a fake leg and all these kind of things that would create this mindset that, man, if I do anything wrong, God is angry at me. So therefore, God is displeased. But again, let's go back to John chapter 11, verses 32, 33. says this, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Watch this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. Everybody say troubled. Troubled. He was troubled. Now, I was telling Darla about this sermon getting ready, and she said, my Bible says that he was angry. And I said, yeah, because the word they use, they translate. In, in the NIV, which is what I read, they translate it to troubled. In other Bibles, they translate it to angered, like Jesus was angry. The actual word they took and they translated, the definition of the word was to snort like a horse. I, don't, I, was, gonna, I was gonna act that out, but I don't even know what that looks like, right? So you can take that and go, well, uh, he's troubled. Yeah, he's definitely troubled. Or you can take that and go, well, he's angry. It's like, yeah, he's definitely angry. He's snorting like a horse. Can you imagine Jesus standing there snorting like a horse? He's troubled, he's angry. Now watch this. The interesting thing is this that if you had been raised up believing that God is angry with you, believing that God is mad because you did something or didn't do something, then it would only make sense that when Jesus snorts like a horse, that you would go, see, told you. Right? I told you he's angry. Lazarus is dead because we didn't do something right, and Jesus is mad at us for it. That's how a lot of people believe religion works. Right? Hear me. Our anger is driven by the fact that we didn't get what we want. Every time that you are angry, you can root it all the way back to the fact that you didn't get something that you wanted. It didn't go the way you wanted it to go. You didn't get what you, it wasn't the the conversation didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Whatever that was, and it caused you to be angry. So therefore, we assume that God's response is anger when we don't do what he wants us to do. Did you catch that? We get angry when stuff isn't done the way we want it to be done. So we assume that when we don't do what God wants us to do, that God must be angry. And there was this whole belief for the first century. This is what they believed. They believed that when storms came, it was because God was angry at them. They believed when famines came and diseases, and they would say, hey, if that guy's born blind, it's because God's angry at him, because he sinned. That that was just this belief that if something happened to you and it was bad, then God must be angry at you. It had developed this whole deal. And here's what Jesus wanted us to understand. That God is not angry at us. God is angry for us. Please get that in your spirit. God is not angry at you. God is angry for you. Let me ask you this. Anybody in here, you got somebody in your life who gets angry for you? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like well, I think we all need somebody. We all gotta have somebody in our life who just gets angry for us. You know, it's like somebody in your corner. And if they're really good, they get more angry for you than you are actually angry, right? Like, I'm just gonna be honest with you. The, the number one person when it comes to people who are angry for me, somebody does me wrong, somebody mistreats me, you know, somebody put something on Facebook, whatever it is, then the number one person that gets angry for me is Darla. And I mean she gets angry. She she gets so angry that I find myself taken up for the person that we're angry at. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, she's so mad. I'm like, well, I don't think they meant it like that. Like, you know what I mean? I, mean, I don't think they're, they're not that bad. We shouldn't kill them. Like, you know, I just need to sit her down for a second. Like, we can't go cut their cat's neck. You know, you got to chill out a little bit. Um, and She just gets so angry for me that sometimes, sometimes I won't even tell her when somebody did something wrong to me because I'm like, she might kill them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't need to tell her. Like, we all need somebody who's angry for us. Can I please, for a second, give you a new frame of reference for God? He's not angry at you. He's angry for you. He's in your corner. He's behind your back. He's just as mad as you are. But he's not mad at you. He's mad for you. Jesus snorted like a horse, and he was angry. Watch this. But he was not angry at a person. He was angry at death. He was was so mad that this was even happening to begin with because there wasn't supposed to be death. He was so mad that they were crying and heartbroken. He was so mad because it was the devil's schemes happening right in front. He was so mad because it wasn't supposed to happen. There's multiple times throughout the Gospels where you'll see Jesus. There's a time where there, I think the man has leprosy. And it says that Jesus gets angered about it. He's not mad at the man. And he's not mad at the man because he got leprosy. He's mad at leprosy. He was mad at these things because they were not of God. He was mad because they were the devil's schemes. And the devil was doing this. And he was just angry at that. He's angry for you. He's angry at death. He's angry at heartbreak. He's angry at failure and sin. He's angry at all of the things you don't like. He's not angry at you. Why are we taught this? Oh, you messed up. It's like God's King Triton from Little Mermaid. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's got that little pitchfork thing. And every time you do bad, it's like zap, you're zapped. Like God's just sitting around waiting to be mad at you when you mess up. God's not angry at you. God's angry for you. And Jesus said, I've, got to, I've come here to explain something to you. Yes, me and my father are snorting like horses. But it's not because you're a failure. It's not because you sinned. It's not because you messed up. It's not because you honked at the person or even said those words on the interstate. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry for you. Because what we created for you didn't have any of this in it, so I'm angry at it. And here's what's so cool: watch this. There were multiple times where Jesus was trying to explain God's character to people, and so he would do it in these things called parables, where he would kind of create these stories and make them very creative, so that people could understand what he was saying without having to actually know what he was saying. It's like I'm I'm gonna—it's kind of—you know—it's an illustration. We use them in sermons all the time. You see them—it's an illustration. And Jesus says, I, I've, got to, I've got to help you understand. Watch this. I've got to help you understand that when you mess up, your father is not angry at you like you think he is. So to help you understand that, Jesus puts together this parable. And some of you know it as the parable of the two sons. Some of you know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But here's how the story goes. The story is a father who represents God, and then there are two sons who represent us. We're only going to talk about one son at this current moment. This son is the son who decides he wants to do his own thing. He wants to go on without his father. He wants to take his inheritance, and he wants to blow it. No matter how many times his dad says, it's not the best, it's not the best, It's not the best. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Sound familiar? I know. All right, and so he goes on about his own way, and then he finds out that his own way was a terrible idea. Amen, right? Y'all been there? Remember what it was like to be 17? I know. Okay, so he's just like, yeah, I thought it was right. It was wrong, okay? So then you find out, oh my goodness, my dad was right. This was a terrible idea. I shouldn't have went there. Shouldn't have dated her. Shouldn't have married him. This was a bad idea, and now I'm in this, what do I, what do I do? And the Bible says that the son decides, hey, you know what? Whatever punishment my dad gives me, however angry my dad is, however many times he zaps me with his pitchfork, it's better than experiencing this rock-bottom experience that I have now. So I'm going to go back to God. I'm going to go back to the father. And some of us find ourselves in this place where it's like, it doesn't matter how mad God is at me. I would rather be with God mad at me than in this garbage I'm in. Or some of us will stay in the garbage because we believe that if we return, our father will be so mad at us that it'd be worse than the garbage. And then here's what Jesus says in the parable. He says that while the son is on his way, the father is watching from a distance. Here's what that tells you. Is the father watching with one of those belts? Y'all remember what it was like when you were kids and you were told you were gonna get a spanking? Remember what I was like? My mom would tell me, hey, when you get home, your dad's gonna spank you. I'm like, why would you do that? Like, let that be a surprise you know what I mean like I don't need to, I don't need to think about it all day and so like we're trying to picture the dads in the window smacking the belt meanwhile what Jesus is saying is he's waiting he cannot wait to wrap his arms around his son Jesus says he takes off running I preached about this a few years ago and broke it down in detail for him to go running as a man he would have had to lift up his his, his, his the, uh, the tunic or the the, the, the the fabric he's wearing that would have been shameful for him to run but he runs to the son and he embraces the son and he puts a coat on him, and he kills the fatted calf, and he puts a ring on him and shoes on him, and he celebrates his return. That doesn't sound like a God that's angry, right? Jesus is saying, you've got it all wrong. The father's not angry at the son. The father's angry at the sin, but he waits, hoping that his son or his daughter will come running back home. And when they do, he will not think about what they did. He will not be concerned about how many times they went, "Uh, dad, whatever. It won't matter because all he cares about is getting them back in his arms. All he cares about is rap. All he cares about is them because God is not angry at us. God loves us. John, we talked about this weeks ago. John, after being with Jesus, knowing that Jesus is God, sits down and goes, wow. For God was so angry at the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in it, no, that's not what John said. God was so, so fed up. No, God so what? Loved the world. Jesus says, listen, you have gotten this frame of reference all wrong. And you think that God is distant, but he's near. And you think that God is angry at you because you've sinned, but he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus as the final sacrifice so that you wouldn't have to go find some kind of clean, clean animal that you could just hit your knees and say, Father, forgive me. God loves us. Misconception number three. God is detached from us. Not only did they think God was distant, he's there, I'm here. Not only did they think that God was angry. Every time I'd make a mistake, God's just sitting there mad at me, waiting to say, I told you so, and all of his religious followers are behind his shoulders going, yeah, right? God's angry. But they thought God was detached, not, not involved, not connected, right? That he was, he was God, they were them, And the only time those two things mixed is when you needed to keep God happy so he wouldn't kill you. But something happens in John 11. And and the verse I'm about to walk you through is literally my favorite one because of the culture we're in today. And it's literally the whole reason I wanted to talk about this particular part in John because of what's about to happen in verses 34 and 35, okay? So once again, you see all that's happened. Lazarus is in in the tomb. And then Jesus says, all right, where is he? Where'd Where'd you lay him? And the girls say, come on, let us show you. And they go to where Lazarus is. We're assuming, it doesn't say that, but we're assuming they go to the grave where Lazarus is. And then the Bible gives us John chapter 11, verse 35, where John saw this, okay? John thought it was so important to put this into the book. He said, my goodness, Jesus wept. The Son of God cried. Now here's what's interesting. When you study this, if you saw earlier in John 11, it said that, that the girls were weeping and the people that were with them was weeping, weeping and wept are different. When you start breaking down the original form, weeping is more like a like a wailing, like ah, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a, because that's what they would do at funerals. The louder you cried, the more it seemed like you cared. So people would just walk in like ah, like it was just crazy. But wept, wept was more personal. Wept was quiet. Wept was more more intimate. Wept was more like inside versus outside. But I just thought this was so crazy. Because not only is the Son of God weeping, but watch this. He knows that Lazarus is about to be resurrected from the grave. So not only does he know that Lazarus is about to be resurrected from the grave, he knows that all of the crying is about to stop. He knows that all the grieving is about to come to an end. He knows that people are gonna start dancing and shouting and they're gonna go get the best wine and kill the best animal and they're gonna party because Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Jesus knows all of this. But he still sees that Mary and Martha are hurting. And even though he knows what's going to come of it, he doesn't ignore their pain. The Bible says that Jesus weeps. This is the most powerful thing. I think this would be my favorite Bible verse from now to the day. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus came to show us that God pays attention to our pain. He's not detached He's not absent from what you're dealing with today. He knows the exact thing you struggled with this morning. He knows the reason you couldn't go to sleep last night. He knows every body part that ached when you woke up this morning. He knows how bad your kids were. He knows how upset you are about the holidays, how uncertain you are about this year. He, he pays attention to our pain. Ancient Greeks, ancient Greeks would say that the, the structure of God, they said that he was completely emotionless. Think about that. They said that he had no compassion whatsoever. That's the way ancient Greeks believed about God. That if you wanted to sum him up, he would be compassionless, emotionless, Detached and disconnected. Meanwhile, the Son of God, I have to imagine, is kneeling down beside Mary and Martha, crying. Let me, let, let me explain something to you. God knows everything that you just went through in 2020. God knows you didn't get to graduate. God knows that you hadn't been able to come to church. God knows that you lost your job. God knows what you've had to do financially. God knows that you were trying to start this small business, and then just when you tried to start it, here we go. God knows that you've had some fear, some pain. God knows that you've had to keep working amongst all of this. God knows, listen, every teacher, God knows what you've had to put up with trying to Skype kids or whatever it is, Zoom kids. Meanwhile, going to work, breathing through a mask, hoping you don't catch it. Every first responder, God's known every moment. God knows that you didn't get to be in the hospital room when your loved one passed. But not only does he know, he cares. He cares. God pays attention to your pain. Can I tell you what I love about God and what this verse tells me? I understood he wasn't distant. I understood he was near. I've read enough scriptures to understand that Jesus came to announce that God is near. I understood that God wasn't angry at me. I've I've had some pretty great revelation with grace and mercy over my few years. But this one was new for me. To imagine that God, because can I tell you what preachers do? Preachers do this, but there's purpose in the pain. Hallelujah. What God took you through, he'll bring you out of and you'll be dancing in the mud or whatever it is that they say, right? And it's true. It's true. That doesn't often help us right now. You know what I mean? And because we hear that through our frame of reference, we start to imagine that God is a God that says, hey, I know you're going through some hard stuff, but suck it up because I'm doing something in the end and you'll be happy for it. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't show up and go, Mary, Martha, shut your mouth. I'm in control. I'm about to shake this whole joint up. Get up, put your big boy pants on, quit acting that way. Jesus didn't say that, but he knew he was about to do it. Instead, knowing that he's about to use what they went through for the glory of God, knowing that he's going to have them sitting around dinner tables one day going, remember that? Remember how bad we thought that was? But then Jesus changed it all around, and it was amazing. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. Jesus knew all of that, yet he still took, a moment to get down with them and weep. Because even though he knows that he's going to make good out of bad, he still cares that you're hurting. Let me tell you how I know this is true. There's no way that my wife or myself could have known that what just recently happened was gonna happen in line with this message. Okay, watch this. Um, A little while ago, we went to Memphis for the holidays, and uh, while we were there, Darla's grandfather passed away. And... I knew they were close, I, I haven't had somebody that I'm super close to family-wise pass away, and so I've, I'm still kinda learning how to, how to deal with that. And I knew they were close, and so he's a great guy, and so I'm, I'm kinda watching her throughout the day, like, is she okay, and, and she's doing a great job of kinda balancing emotions, and so, you know, I'd ask her, I'd say, how you, know, how you doing, how you doing? She would say, I'm okay, I'm okay. She would say things like, I'm, I'm really more concerned about my dad because her dad and, and her granddad were really close. And she was like, I'm, you know, and he's, he's, he's your natural dad. He never cries. You know, he's that kind of guy. He's a man's man. And, uh, and so she's like, I'm just kind of watching him. I'm like, yeah, I totally understand. So a couple of days go by, and again, we're dealing with it. And so I'm, I'm sitting there in their house one day, and Darley comes to me, and she says, babe, I'm going to go for a run. And I was like, okay. I knew what that meant. I know my wife. That means stuff's going on up here. I need to clear this out. So I'm going to go for a run. Get away from what's happening. Just cool. So she's gone. I don't remember how long it was. She comes back in. She says, I got to tell you this story. She says, "I I went out to run, and I didn't want to go run. Her parents live in Arlington, kind of off the beaten path. She said, I didn't want to run down the road because of traffic. And so I went kind of running off in these woods. And she said, as I was running in the woods, the, you know, it was, it was kind of a rainy, kind of, kind of gloomy day. And she said, as I'm running through the woods, the sun started to come out. And she said, I was watching the sun rays. And she said, all of a sudden, I looked over, and there was this, like, pathway. And she said, I went into the pathway. And as I went on the pathway, it was a little track. And she said, I'm, I'm running the track. And she said, it opens up to this big field, and there's a horse there. Now, to me and you, that means nothing. <laughs> to me and you, were like, and so you ran how fast away from that? But what you got to know about my wife is that horses are one of her favorite things in the world. And for her, it's always been kind of a symbol of just peace and joy. So think about this. This distant displeased, detached God knows that she is struggling with pain. And so when he sees her go for a run, he leads her. Right down this path, and allows it to open up to this horse. God wasn't involved in that. Of course he was. You kidding me? She could have went down the road, looked at cars and trucks all day. He knew what he was doing. He led her right to that moment because of this distant, displeased, detached God is near to her, loves her, and is attached to her. And he pays attention to her pain. Jesus so God is near and he's love and he's attached but you don't know that until you change frame of reference. I'm inviting us all this year let's change our frame of reference. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's follow Jesus. Let's learn who God really is. And then let's let him change Our life. Now, here's what's so cool, and I promise I'll wrap this up. Remember what Jesus said to Martha at the beginning? He said, Those who believe in me will have life, and those who live by believing. And a few moments later on in John 11, he wants the rock moved so Lazarus can come out and he tells Martha and Mary to move the rock. Now, he could have moved the rock, he could have twinked his eye, and that rock would have moved. But here was the catch. He needed them to believe. Jesus can tell you that God is near and love and attached, but it's not until you believe. You can read about it all day, but this is where it's at. So here's what's cool. At our church, we always do a word for the year. And I wasn't gonna do one I wasn't going to do one because last year I did shift. (laughs) I think I'm to blame for 2020. I'm not sure. Um, But then I felt the Spirit of God tell me this is what we're going after this year to believe, and to change our frame of reference as to who God is in our life. God is near, God is love, God is attached. And if you'll believe, you'll be saved, have life in an abundance. So I'm gonna pray, but before I pray, I wanna ask you real quick, if you're watching with us and you just say, hey, I've never really believed in God. Or maybe you did, and you know, Time is kind of, you had the wrong frame of reference. And you'd like to believe again. Maybe you're with us in here. And you say, I'd really like to believe again. If you're watching online, we're going to put a number on the screen. I want you to text it. I want to be able to reach out and connect with you. If you're in this room, I want you to meet me outside in our lobby. I want to do all I can to help our church in 2021 walk out this concept of believing in God because when we believe we find life and we can live by believing father I thank you for your word I thank you for everything that's about you every characteristic I thank you that you're near I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you pay attention to our pain. I thank you that what you did for Darla, you're doing for everybody. We can all stop for a moment and think back to when you did something. Maybe it was small, maybe it was big, but you did something just to let us know you care. So, Father, this year we want to believe. We want to believe more than we ever have. For every person that's watching, I pray you'd move on their hearts. That you would help us in this year to be better at believing in you and following you and living for you. But most of all, sharing who you are to the people who don't know you. So that they can be saved. So that they can believe. So that they can learn that you're both near and loving so they can learn that you're attached, that you pay attention to their pain. Give us all a new frame of reference this year. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.